0: Mino Line Media presents the Business First Podcast.
1: Hi all, and welcome to a new episode of Business First with Sonia Eileen. I am your host, and today I'm excited about our conversation. We're going to be speaking with a tech entrepreneur, Jacqueline Shorter Beauchamp, who is the CEO and founder of Engaged Media. Welcome, Jacqueline. How are you? I am great. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, because um, I know your schedule is busy. You, you just moved from, I'm not sure when the move took place, but you just moved from Louisiana and you're now resettled in Houston, Texas. That is correct. That is correct. And so why the move?
0: Um, we were in a, several several reasons, but the big move led us, it was based on our business partnership with Microsoft. We are a uh, technology partner with Microsoft within their uh, around their mixed reality uh, platform and their technology for volumetric capture and uh, the license that we were granted uh, got approved for the city of Houston and that is what led to our relocation from Baton Rouge to uh, to Houston Texas
1: very good congratulations thank you thank you and so so your company focuses, it says, uh, to oversimplify it, it's the intersectionality of technology, storytelling, and culture. And so, what does that mean in terms of when you were putting this business together, and you recognized that either you were solving a problem or that there was an opportunity? What was the the inspiration for for um, developing this business?
0: Sure. The inspiration actually was a continuation of what I'd done within the the previous company where we were doing video game. Uh, And uh, the opportunity was that uh, the story around Black colleges and Black college football story had got taken out of the video game market segment. So therein lied an opportunity for us to bring to uh, to the industry, uh, a video game, uh, around centered around black colleges and universities. So at the core of the video game pipeline, uh, going into the next evolution of the technology industry was in mixed reality. And so we saw yet another opportunity where a number of the black museums, uh, in the marketplace, were at a particular level and needed an, an integration of technology within the aspect of their business uh, going from into digital transformation. And we were able to come in and assist them with uh, providing, taking these great stories right around with technology and elevating those stories uh, into ways that have never been done before. So if you can envision a hologram of a, or, or having a conversation uh, with whether it's a, a, a Dr. King or uh, another great uh, histor- historical figure that is within the Black community, we want to take those stories and elevate them. And so that's the reason why you hear us talk about, you know, at the core of who we are. It literally is taking technology with a great story to tell Around a culture and
1: elevating that experience. How difficult was that to sell? When I look at the areas that you are, the the, the industries that you're working in, it seems almost like a no brainer for entertainment. Um, but having worked in government, I know how resistant they are to change. Um, education can also be a very tough tough place. Although I can, it seems like it would be a no brainer for that as well. Mm-hmm. And the museums. So were those difficult? you to sell or for you as a storyteller was that part of your expertise in terms of going in and and having them embrace this idea
0: uh initially i would say it wasn't that it was hard to sell it was when they would do it uh played a big big part in the acceleration of we have to do this now Uh, because when those you know museums were a brick and mortar right? So when you're brick and mortar, you need bodies and people to come in. Well, when you go through a pandemic, like what we just recently came out of, then those, those museums were basically dormant. And so there was no other outlet for, uh, for revenue uh, and for any ways that people could still connect to the museum. Now they're all driven to have a digital platform and a digital solution uh, around what they're doing from the physical, we call it the in the wall uh,
1: experience and the outside the wall experience. Inside the wall and outside the wall. I guess. Yes. Okay. Tell us a little bit about your background and what has prepared you to um, to, to be in this space. We hear about the, the lack of diversity and technology and um, we, we all understand what the barriers are. Mm-hmm. And so you, you have a, a solid business background. And so what was it in, in your background that prepared you to um, have this, this, this significant presence in technology today?
0: Sure. I, uh, I'm, my degree, I'm an electrical engineer by education with dual minors in mathematics and computer science. So I was always a techie, geeky girl that just loved technology. But the preparation really started at home with my parents, identifying my strengths and my capabilities both my uh, my my parents were educators and so my father taught uh, he was a scientist, so he had three masters, you know chemistry, physics, and biology and you know for us and my, my siblings growing up, he always tried to work to in my both my parents to identify you know, the strengths of where we are and to wrap their arms around how do we help you make that happen. And so uh, I went to, uh, my father moved our family uh, into a community called uh, Scotlandville that's known as Scotlandville in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And that, that community is the community of Southern University, which is a historically about college and university And so um, he said he moved us there because he wanted his kids to be able to walk to a college education. And so the first two years of my, of, of when I, you know, graduated from high school and went to college, I walked to a college education. My, all of my siblings, we walked to a college education. So it was their vision of wanting to make sure that there was nothing that was going to stop their kids from getting a solid education and becoming the best of who they could become, having that outlet and getting a college education was, was their vision for, for me and my siblings. And then from there, it was just the preparation. And I had a lot of uh, professors and um, you know, uh, within the university system that really prepared you and, and knowing that I was going into a very, you know, my father said you're going into a male-dominated Caucasian industry, and here's the mental aspect of what you're going to have to be prepared for, along with everything else on the on the the technical and the competency standpoint. And so, I think it was a combination of those things, and then building the confidence that not letting anything stop you from achieving your goal and your in um, your objectives uh, of what you want your career to be. And that's what I did. So, and so I just um, at every stage, I never let any obstacle get in my way of
1: stopping me from becoming who I knew that I could become. Okay. How fortunate were you to have a a dad to say that to you? I mean, most yeah. of us had parents that told you, you know, you have to work hard and prepare yourself academically. But for many of us, once we entered into the particular field, we were not prepared for what came in terms of, of, um, you know, either the challenges for being who we were or just feeling comfortable in a mm-hmm. room of people who did not look like us. What advice do you give to, um, I was going to say women, but to anyone entering a field where they know that they they are, they may be an anomaly in that field, or they may be the one only person in that field. What, what advice that your father gave you that you, you've been able to pass on to other, other people? Expect,
0: uh, expect it to be difficult. Expect it to be challenging. Um, expect, um, and and when he would say those expectations, it was all so you could prepare yourself and to overachieve and to over, um, my father was a coach. So not only was he a scientist, he was a coach. So he was driving that mental aspect of when you get on the sports field, right? When you, whether it's whatever court where you, if he was coaching football or baseball or or basketball, you have to mentally prepare yourself to compete against your opponent. And so your opponent, my opponent, at that time was going into this male dominated environment and here is how you win. You know, you're going to have to be prepared. You're going to have to go in and have the self-confidence in in yourself. You're going to have to expect that they're not going to believe that you can. And then he said, quite frankly, that's when you go and whip their tail. You know, he was a coach at the end of the day. And so it was, it was really pushing you, to to know that there's gonna be a lot of un, you know, they're not gonna expect that you're gonna know what you your stuff and you're really gonna go in there and and just excel uh and improve them wrong. Uh but really you're walking in knowing that this is who you are anyway. So just be yourself.
1: Right. It's it you know when you said he was he was a coach. Yeah. The minute you started talking about your dad, I thought about Richard Williams. I just read his autobiography at the end of last year and it's the reason he moved his girls to Compton. People mm-hmm. think that they grew up in Compton, but he actually moved his girls to Compton, Compton wow. so they would have the right mentality, mentality when they when they were able as you said to step onto the court or step yeah. into the field um where you know um where where he knew that they were going to be looked at differently. Yes. Um what what did you expect for you, for yourself in terms of a career? You, you said you trained as a as an engineer. Mm-hmm. And so you know, when you were a young woman stepping, you know, going to college, what did you see for yourself that I am going to be an engineer doing? Because it wasn't this. Did you think you were going to run a company? Yes. You did. Okay. I did.
0: I saw myself as always owning my own company. Wow. And I always, and I saw myself as owning my own company in the media space. I didn't know how I was going to get there. I, I actually, I told my father when I graduated from high school that Hey, I want to go to California because they have all of these various different, you know, uh, programs in, in the field of music and sound engineering and so forth. And he said, I am so and I said, I've done all my research and here's this information. And the research is you know, coming from a library. Right. So daddy said, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you went and did all this research. He said, well, baby, anything that Southern University has, that's where you're going. It because I moved you guys here so you can get your education from them. And my father was a Southern University graduate as well. But um yeah, it was, uh, I, I always, I always saw that. So I, I didn't know how, uh, I didn't know what the, in the, the irony is, you, you you don't know how your journey yeah. goes, right? But what, what ends up happening is, but if you can see yourself there, you can continue to keep walking and continue to keep going through the journey because you saw yourself there as a little kid, right? And I always saw myself there. And so it, it, it made me constantly not whenever it got difficult or wherever the challenges came about, I just consistently kept seeing, I'm going to own my own business. I'm going to do these things. And I would take on different roles uh, just to learn because it was always preparing myself for what. What's to come? What was next? And these are the skills that I need to, to learn. And, and uh, so it was always the constant preparation and being driven to be successful.
1: I love that you said that, you know, if you can see yourself, because that is, that is so key in so many people that I've interviewed over the years, that has always been a consistent, thing that they might not have known the path, but they, they, they had this, they had this vision. Mm -hmm. And so I want you to take us through this journey, because you didn't start in entertainment you st- or in media. You worked for a number of different corporate companies for That's great. a number of years. And so when you got that first job, was, was the first job at IBM or when you got that yes. first tech job? What were you thinking? Because that, that was not Hollywood. That was not entertainment. And so right. you're, that was a very buttoned up, very corporate yes. Um Place. Yes. And so what were your thoughts and, and what were the benefits of you being at IBM?
0: Uh, the benefits of being at IBM, I started my, uh, when I graduated from college, I started my career at IBM as a computer designer. This is when personal computers were becoming the, right. the big thing. So I was always looking at, okay, what is the, the, the next thing and how can I learn as much as I can? motor i mean uh gosh uh IBM was a very uh structured organization uh they trained you very well from design to project management and, and leadership um I went through their leadership training program and it it just prepared me once again that mental aspect of 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 be, becoming in in leadership uh, but it was in a field that I said, after 10 years, I want to now start learning this media industry. I want to understand how this goes. And it's still from a corporate standpoint, even though I knew Mm -hmm. that I wanted to own my own company. Uh, And so uh, Motorola uh, was actually uh, expanding uh, a part of their, they were one of the leading uh, media, I mean, Mm -hmm. industries for silicon technology in media, in the Entertainment space for consuming electronic products. So, my opportunity was to go in and understand because silicon, the silicon technology is the thing that drives what those products end up doing. Right. right? So, I said, let me find, let me understand it from that aspect of it and then understand the various industries and in the market. So, I left uh, uh, IBM after 10 years and joined Motorola. Uh, I was a part of Motorola's uh, multimedia systems division. I wasn't just a part of it. I actually was Motorola's, I became their general manager. And I was Motorola's first African-American female general manager within the semiconductor market segment. And our organization provided the silicon technology into, I'm getting ready to date myself, uh, DVD so, and the audio equipment and so forth. Uh, but, uh, but also um, in your, we were going from analog to digital. And so the digital uh, set-top box, which a lot of people call cable boxes that sit on top of your television, or now they're in TVs are in, in, some, in some aspects. But um, that was the industry that I began really understanding and knowing And, um, initially the cable operators were my customers along with the telecommunication carriers, but we ended up doing an acquisition for, uh, with General Instrument for about $15 billion. And then, uh, I just, my organization focused specifically with the telecommunication carriers. And so, uh, that digital set-top box unit that we were deploying was, I had teams all over the world. So. North America, Hong Kong, uh, Tokyo, Asia Pacific, uh, London, Canada. And, and I always say, so a little girl from Scotlandville, you know, and and is managing these people all over the world. How do you do that? You do that through a lot of preparation, but I also do it. I say the power of the tongue. My father would always say, he's never going to know where Jackie is. She might be in Tokyo one day, this place that day. And this is as a little girl growing up. So uh, those things actually ended up happening in 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 that manner. So um, so it was just a lot of uh, going through that process. Those the, the, the set top box units that we deployed all over the world enabled gaming, and so we would license games uh, from publishers, port them o- onto our platform, and then license those to our. Uh, our uh, telecommunication carrier customers that is how I got into the gaming industry that is how I knew about gaming and so now I find myself right into into this and then in the industry in the industry from for, on all levels um and then and at, at the beginning, be- beginning at and the at beginning the beginning of, the of yeah at the yeah. beginning of this transition from this analog to digital way. And uh, then it became this gaming wave, and now we're going into a mixed reality wave and an AI wave. So it's it's all of those things. And at the core competency level of what we do, a skill set I should say, in the business that I'm in right now, is game development. So the core pipeline for development for a mixed reality platform is the ability to understand how to develop a video game.
1: Right, right, right. And so, people who are interested in um, mixed reality, as, or maybe I should reframe it. What are the opportunities for people who are interested in entering this a mixed reality? The is is it would we say it is industry, or is it an aspect of technology?
0: It's an aspect of technology, um, and it is a a key component. That's driving a lot of your immersive experiences that exist in all forms. Uh, you know, hologram and holographic technology, where you can create yourself as a as a hologram and can literally be just, I mean, deployed anywhere on any medium at any at any at any time and at any point. But then also taking that same technology and not having what's called um holoportation where you as the individual can now be holoport you know into if you're here in you know i'm here in in, in houston texas you're in new york i can you could literally be in my living room with the level of technology that is available uh and so when you start i, I will call it Layering all of these various different experiences on top of one another. to me, that is when the innovation of the the endless possibilities of what can take right. place uh, with with various forms of, of experiences. It's all through what you can reimagine or imagine
1: um, and those things can actually take place and come to life. I want to ask you a little bit more about that, but also for the for the people who are in our, or, or listening in the audience, um, what was that, the transition from working for someone to you starting your own company? I mean, and again, for you, you knew it was going to happen. You might not have known exactly when, but what was the thought process or what was the, the moment, the, the light bulb that goes off and said that this is the time that made you transition to, to starting your own business? Yeah, uh,
0: I prayed a lot. Um and 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 i i'm am I'm very spiritual and i listen to the man upstairs to know when to to really determine when it was the right moment the market segment was changing uh industry was changing and this was what year when you said the market uh, two thousand and six two thousand six okay uh, uh when the industry uh was 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 changing a, a lot of things were being downsized and so forth and it was just when you stop having fun. And I just, I just really, um, just prayed a lot and just said, okay, do I, do I stay here and just, you know, weather this storm or do I go and do something different? Is this the time? And, uh, I heard that voice that said, this was the time. And that's, that's how I ended up leaving. Um, it was, I, I was called crazy. Uh, you gotta be kidding me. Uh, you're an executive you made it, you know, most people don't ever get there. Uh, and you, you're, you, you're going out there to do start your own what? Um, and, um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, I had a, a lot of that, but what was most important for me was is this was really purpose driven, um, and the fulfillment of purpose and also realizing that, the, the what was also taking place was this, this demographic shifting within, you know, we're looking at planning uh, as a long range planning session within corporation. And you're looking at all of this data and you're analyzing, you know, 10, 15, 20 years out, where are you going to get your workforce from, right? Mm-hmm. And then this market data that says that the demographic of people that look like you and me were not prepared and skilled. Uh, to come into these, these new jobs and these new roles. And for me, that was, that was, that was also another driving factor, uh, because I wanted to be in the industry at a different point, meaning on the ground, really creating different products, uh, and then allowing uh, our, you know, our people to be exposed to these various industry and give an opportunity. Um, Because a lot of them, that's all really that it is, is, if I can see someone else doing this and then I can be given an opportunity, then I too can become. And so that was, that was really driving me. It was really,
1: really driving me. This was all purpose driven. Wow. You know, so please explain a little bit why following what is purpose driven in your life is so important because sometimes it's, it's the noise in our heads or the, or the voices telling us, are you crazy? Like who in the family has ever gotten this far? Like you're making so much money. Like, why would you leave a good job to pursue something that we don't even know what's what where this is going? And so for those of us struggling um, with that, you know, how do you how do you decipher what's ego versus what's the voice of God? What's your instinct um, to make the right the right move? Sonia, it was all. It's always. It's. it's and I'm pointing out.
0: It's in the belly of your. It's in your gut, right? It's in. It's in the pit of your stomach. You. Every day that I wake up and what I do today, I, I don't ever feel as though so that I'm working, because this is who I was meant to be. I, I don't even know if I. If if someone said, "Hey, if you could go and do something else, what would you go and do?" This is it. This is who I am so um in in the whole in the entrepreneur aspect i saw i saw in my father my father was an entrepreneur i mean he sold real estate he did other you know other products that he would sell he was and he was always realizing and knowing he would say you know the wealth generation is really owning your own and even though he was an educator. He worked in the education system for 45 plus years. Um, he was always educating, but he was always being driven to wanting to have his own business and knew that owning your own business was um, what was also the, the way that legacy gets uh, created and wealth generation actually is made. Now, my father didn't tell me I was crazy. That's, <laughs> if, if uh, you know, he did not. Yeah, my father did did not tell me that I was crazy. And, uh, and so when you have a lot of things that gets instilled in you from a young age, uh, I I guess, and then when you walk in in purpose, you feel that you literally, you literally feel it. It's not, it's not a hard thing for like for the past two half months I've been on the road. Right. So this is the first week that I've been in the office uh, and where I'm not traveling and with my team and I'm able to just really, you know, have great strategy sessions and going through different plannings and having discussions about things. And I'm not on a on either a team's call or a Zoom call or, or what have you. So um, but but I wouldn't honestly I wouldn't have it any other way because this is who I am and this is who I was meant to be. And, um, I just continue to, to move everything forward every day. You're making progress. Uh, every step you're taking, you're making progress. It becomes difficult. It becomes very challenging at times. And sometimes for me, um, just, just recently I was in a, uh, uh, at a, at a function at Microsoft corporate headquarters with the black partner growth initiative program mm-hmm. and, I had to, I shared some stories and some insight to, you know, these black businesses and that were there. And 15 years ago is the partnership relationship that I have established with Microsoft for these numbers of years. And when I got up to actually speak, and I was telling the story that I was getting ready to tell, right, the story of my partnership journey with Microsoft over the last 15 years, what I did was I stood up and I went to go and start speaking and then I'm looking out and here is this group of, you know, 200 plus black businesses at Microsoft corporate office in 15 years prior to that. I was standing alone doing this video game, you know, cause we became the first licensed developer uh, that Microsoft had granted uh to a, an african american i think an african american definitely for sure female led game studio uh and we actually did ship the product but that was a very singular you know experience you, you i didn't i couldn't pick up the phone and say who can i call for advice or who can i i I want to speak with someone about this I, I mean it was just very uh you were, it was a very singular feeling right and, and and everything that you went through and then i'm seeing today fast forward you know 15 years into this and where i'm seeing the change right i'm seeing how things have evolved and how partnering really does make it make a difference but you have to sometimes be that first one out uh, to to knock the doors down
1: for others to be able to to come through yeah um, well congr- and congratulations to to Microsoft for creating a program like this I used to cover corporate diversity and so I still am always looking at the executive team and the corporate board right and so even you know going on your your website and looking at your executive team it was nice to see black and brown faces because mm-hmm. even today in 2023 there's so many companies um I, I you know I was just interested in this biohack conference that was combining technology with health and not only was the corporation not diverse at all but none of the speakers were diverse for yeah. something that was that involved technology and health and mm-hmm. so you know what message do you have just even in terms of your existence and 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 you having the team that you have and in this partnership with um with Microsoft where you know the, the argument why teams aren't divor- di- want, why they're not dif- diverse, is they're always saying, "Oh, we can't find right," or they don't exist, or they, or they, or they're not available. And so, what example, or how important is this example that you set for other companies, other technology companies, to reach out and to really work on in increasing the diversity of their of their organizations?
0: Yeah, I, I, I always, I. Sometimes you're you know for those that have been around me long enough they they hear me make this statement that it's amazing what you can find when you really want to go look for it, and I think what what Microsoft literally did over the past fifteen years was they they started you know they didn't um you you can you can find any excuse for not to do something. Right. If you choose to. And, you know, so you've been around this for 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 a while and you know that there are times when, like you just stated, you can't I can't go and find. Right. Well, look, when I was at Motorola with my uh, division, you know, we had a very diverse organization, but we were very intentional. I think sometimes you have to become very intentional and deliberate of, of making sure that you have a, a diverse team you have diverse and i'm talking about not just from gen, uh, not just from race but i'm also talking about from from gender as well and so making sure that you have that level of balance and because those those different voices are the things that create the right types of products that you have to go out and provide to this growing diverse market segment so it's extremely important to, to have those voices uh, at the table. And what I tend to do is, is try to challenge that mindset that uh, I just don't think you're looking hard enough. Uh, if you come back and tell me you can't find skilled, incompetent people uh, that are, you know, that have, you know, some level of depth, that's from a diverse um, mindset or diverse skill set or a person of color, um, you, you, you're, you're not wanting to. Uh, especially in today's time. Uh, you know, they do exist and you have to be, become very intentional and deliberate uh in making in, in making that 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 the change that you want to see, you have to be intentional and deliberate in, in making it happen. And not allowing what we can't find or what we can't go and do. Uh you have to be have a mindset of we will do.
1: What advice would you offer to um, any small business who is looking to establish a corporate partnership?
0: Uh, Understand uh, exactly what it is that you're doing and know what your value proposition is for your business and align yourself with the right partner that will be complementary to what you are doing for your business in order for your business to grow and scale. Um, don't try to have all partners all over, you know, everywhere, because that to me doesn't make sense. Be intentional, and in, once I'm saying, using the word intentional and deliberate, because that really is the thing that will allow you to elevate your value in your value proposition. It has to be, you have to have these alignments to where it makes sense for that partnership to exist. If it's not mutually beneficial, then you having a thousand or a hundred partners and and no one's benefiting from it, why are you doing it? You know, what you can't ever get back is your time. And so you have to be very intentional with who you spend that time with and why are you partnering and the benefit to that partnership, why that makes sense. Uh, and so a lot of times what we do, we come to the table and say, Hey, look, this is the role that we see, uh, in, in why the value in the partnership exists, right? These are the things that we're doing. Here's our customer base. Uh, and we see that a partnership in this area, it may be something that I'm not doing right now, right? Or I need to do, but I don't have the skill set in house to do right. But uh, if you can, if I can partner with you, to elevate or to provide a particular skill set that i need to close an opportunity with a customer, then let's partner to do that. And so I think you just need to become very, very uh, focused on knowing the value in what the partnership uh, is going to do for you to partner, right? Right. Because at the end of it, it's gotta be business. Uh, It's gotta be some level of, Business that's going to come out of that partnership, and that partner needs to see value in you partnering in partnering,
1: and vice versa. So, what's next for you and your company, um, particularly in this new space in Houston? What what's what's the big vision for you currently?
0: Sure. The the big business is uh, vision. I should state is that we are scaling into other vertical markets. Uh, and uh, in one area in, in Houston, known for its, its its energy aspect, is taking some of the things that we're doing with immersive technology and mixed reality and, and partnering, once again, where that makes sense in adding that level of value within the industry. Everyone is going through digital transformation. I don't care what industry you're in, they are all going through digital transformation. How can we add value in other verticals? Going from museum, sports, and entertainment to taking that same skill set and 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 going into other vertical markets like within government government market segments, energy corridor. Where can you add value into that space um, with same type of technology and product, but a solution that fits and adds value to? The various different other vertical markets that we're looking at.
1: Well, thank you so much, Jacqueline. Thank you for the your time this uh, today this afternoon. I don't know when people are going to be listening, but you inspired me, and I'm sure that you have inspired those who are listening, and the in the audience. Um, if we wanted to stay in touch to to follow you, are are you on social media? Is is engaged? Yes. Engaged Media yeah. on social media. Yeah, engaged Media
0: Studios. Um, uh, and then also you can they can visit us on our website
1: at um, engagedmedia.net. Uh, so engagedmedia.net uh, is the website and then engaged media, media studios, studios is our LinkedIn. Your social media. Yes, our uh, social LinkedIn. media. Okay. Yes. righty. Well, thank you so much for all the information and insight that you provided today. Um, We look forward to hearing more about you and um, and look forward to having you back with some updates. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. And one last thing I can say to your audience for those aspiring business entrepreneurs, if it is your desire, never give up on yourself because it's you, the only person that stops you from becoming you and from becoming that successful business is you never give up
1: on yourself. Thank you so much. You're speaking to me today. So oh, the, Your timing is so, is so perfect. So thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again. Take care. Absolutely. Take care. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back again next week with another dynamic guest. Take care.
0: The Business First Podcast is hosted and produced by Sonia Aline, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the Business First Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Odyssey, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcast. On social media on IG at business underscore first underscore podcast. Follow the Mean Online line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean line Media. Get the Mean Online line Media app in the App Store or Google Play. The Business First Podcast is a Mean Old line Media production.